Good morning, everybody. Welcome. My name is David, and I am uh, the pastor here with a little bit of a cold this morning, so bear with me. Um, I hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving week, um, and I know that next week is December, full-on Christmas season, uh, and so what we're going to do next week is actually kick off a series called Carols, as in Christmas carols. And uh, you guys are already here in carols. They're already on the radio. Uh, some of them we love. Some of them we don't love so much. But there are some uh, really, really wonderful carols that have been written um, that, that, that are theologically rich, that were inspired by Scripture, that really turn our hearts and mind towards Jesus. And so what we thought we would do uh, during the month of December is to kind of spend some time uh, looking at some of those carols, some of their inspiration, and some of the, some of the Bible verses that talk about the hope that, that's at, at the heart of them. And so we're going to kick that off next week. Um, we're going to look at O Come All Ye Faithful and a verse from 1 Corinthians uh, next week. This week is kind of an interesting week. It's kind of an in-between week. We fall in between things, right? Thanksgiving is over, but it's not quite yet December. And uh, And so what I thought we could do this morning is look at um, kind of an in-between passage, something that I think will hope, uh, that I hope will help kind of tie some things together in the greater Christian story and promise that maybe we've never seen before. I know I didn't see them before until I, I studied this more in depth. And, and I think will um, not only help you guys understand some more big picture things, but also uh, really draw your hearts and minds closer to God as we, as we enter into this Christmas season. Um, today's message is titled, Looking Forward to Jesus' Coming, and it comes to us from 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. If you want to follow along with, uh, with a Bible, which is how I always recommend you follow along, there's one in the back of your seats. 2 Peter is at the end of the New Testament, and, um, and we're going to read it in a second, but before we read it, why don't we go ahead and we'll pray this morning. Lord Jesus, uh, we are thankful. We are, we're thankful to be here. We're thankful for uh, just the incredible gifts that you pour out on our lives. We're thankful for all the ways that we've got to experience those this last week. Um, we're thankful for the way that we get to take uh, this day um, and come and worship you and, and give thanks to you and remember your goodness in our lives. And as we open up this scripture Today, I, I pray that you would, um, you would help our minds to see, you would help our hearts to hear, Lord, and that, um, and that in reading your very word out of the Bible, we, we would just uh, be inspired to follow you more, to love you more, and to know you more. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing, Lord, in your sight, Jesus. You alone are a rock and our redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Okay, this is 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwell. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. So it is uh, my freshman year at the University of Illinois, and I show up to my calculus class just after lunch, 1 p.m., and I discover that something uh, kind of interesting is going on. The, the, the doors to the lecture hall are locked and crammed up and down the hallway. There's this growing, noisy group of my classmates. Evidently, uh, the professor has not shown up yet, and, uh, and, and he's late, and, and we can't get into the lecture hall. And um, for all of us freshmen, this is unprecedented, right? This has never happened. The lecture hall was always open. The professor was always there. And so we had never uh, been in a situation where the professor had not shown up yet and, 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 and still was not there, even though class was supposed to have started. And so all these questions started running through our mind. What exactly does it mean if he doesn't show up, right? Are we, are we allowed to leave, right? What about the content of the lecture uh, that we were supposed to have. Are we responsible for knowing it? Um, all these questions were running through our minds, but we figured, you know, probably he was just running a little bit late, and so we waited. We waited five minutes, and still no professor. We waited 10 minutes, still no professor. We waited 15 minutes, still no professor. And it was at this point at which I, as a college freshman, became enlightened. Does anybody know what happens at the 15-minute mark when your professor doesn't show up, right? See some heads nodding, the 15-minute rule, right? You guys know this, anybody? Yep, still practiced on college campuses all over America. What it is, is if your professor is over 15 minutes late, uh, the unwritten rule is that all bets are off, right? You can leave, you can neglect to turn in your papers. If they're in an exam, you will do not have to take it. You are allowed to go, and that's exactly what happened that day? There was this one junior in this calculus class, and he decided at this point it was time for him to provide some, some leadership. He looked down at his watch, he looked up at us, and he said, all right, dudes, 15-minute rule, and then he just walked on out of there. And all of us freshmen just kind of looked at each other, kind of slowly smiled and hesitantly and joyfully also walked out of there as well, right? So, so you may... Uh, you may already know this, but tardiness has been a topic of concern, not just on college campuses, but also uh, in the community of the first Christians. Um, a, a rather specific tardiness, lateness, was a topic of concern, and that was the tardiness of Jesus, right? A lot of the early Christians were wondering if Jesus was late, because most of the early Christians sincerely thought that Jesus who had ascended into heaven after he rose from the dead, was going to come back 
in their lifetimes, in that first generation. These, these disciples, Peter, James, John, the others, expected, many of them, that Jesus was going to return in their lifetimes. And so there's this really interesting thing that happens, and we see it uh, in parts of the New Testament, where the early Christians, uh, this first generation of Christians, uh, start to wonder what's going on. As Peter, James, and John start to pass away, they start to wonder, is Jesus tardy? Is he late? Jesus said he was coming back. And this idea uh, that they had he was coming back, it wasn't just based on uh, a desire for him to come back. It wasn't wishful thinking. It was actually largely based on things that Jesus himself said while he was with them. For example, one instance comes from a passage in Mark 13, where Jesus paints this apocalyptic picture as he's talking, where he talks about wars and rumors of wars, of the temple being destroyed, of a time when the sun would be darkened, and then Jesus would come back in the clouds and gather his church and all the people. And at the end of this long uh, explanation of Jesus in Mark 13, Jesus says, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened, right? Uh, another example comes from uh, the book of Revelation, right? Chapter 22, where it talks about how Jesus uh, is going to come and sit on his throne among his people and make things right and new where the curse will be no more, and he will be the light for his people. And when will this happen? Well, Jesus in Revelation 22 says, see, I am coming soon. Those are his words. I am coming to you Soon, and in the, last, in the last words of the entire book of Revelation, it's even more emphatic. Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And so the early church believed that Jesus was coming soon, right? That was their understanding, their expectation. You know, today, 2,000 years later with the clarity of hindsight and Jesus still not having come back, we are able to see some things uh, now that were harder for them to see then. Right? One was that Jesus indeed was speaking prophetically, but on multiple levels, right? M like in Mark 13, actually, we know that he was speaking about something that happened then. The, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and it was horrible, just like Jesus said it was going to be. It happened, and it happened in that generation. However, there was another layer. Jesus was also talking about things that would happen at the end of time, and we see that, and he wasn't referring to those things happening in that generation. Additionally, one thing uh, us later generations of Christians came to understand is, is that this word soon, when Jesus says soon, when God says soon, soon is actually kind of an ambiguous concept, right? Soon doesn't have tremendous definition. And just to illustrate that, say for example, Shannon was to say to me, has said to me, and we've had this conversation. David, would you please take out the garbage? It's beginning to stink. And I say, absolutely, honey. I'll, I'll get to it soon, right? <laughs> or, or this is a conversation. She's not here. Uh, that we will have later, later on this week. David, when were you planning on getting the Christmas lights hung on the house? And I'll say, honey, I was planning on doing it soon, right? <laughs> uh, I'm not. I'm going to put that off as long as I can. I do not like Christmas lights. But you y'all get my drift, right? Soon is it's ambiguous. And, and think of how much that ambiguity is magnified when we're talking about time from God's point of reference. And th that's what the beginning of this scripture is all about. That's what Peter is talking about. 
What does it mean when a being who is outside of the constraints of time and space say, mean when he says, I'm coming soon, right? We've got to think in different categories. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. That's what Peter says. Soon could be tomorrow, or in a year, or in a decade, or in a century, or in a millennia, or two millennia, like we're sitting at today, or who knows when it's going to happen, right? The point being, when, when God says soon, we've got to think in different categories. And so Peter, in this passage that we read, it, it, is making it clear that soon is something we have to think about differently. And, and, and really, he's actually offering a warning to those who are trying to apply a 15-minute rule to their faith, right? They had this expectation that Jesus was coming back, but 15 minutes had passed, and Jesus wasn't still back. And like, they're trying to say now, all bets are off. Those voices were actually in, in the early church, right? Uh, as some are saying, this is something that, G, that Peter says in the passage, uh, they're saying, we can live however we want to now. We're in the clear. Jesus is not coming back. But Peter's saying, don't listen to that. Don't fall into any such foolish trap. Jesus is coming, and he's still coming, and he's coming to judge the quick and the dead. And Peter is, is very serious about this. I think that probably came out in the passage as we read it, right? Um, those bits about the day of the Lord coming like a thief in the night unexpectedly. You know, uh, the, those bits about the old things passing away, about fire coming and burning up the elements, right? Uh, that, that what Peter is doing is he's trying to make utterly clear uh, we've got to be thinking uh, about Jesus' return. We've got to live a life that looks ahead and is ready for Jesus' coming. And we've got to understand that soon isn't so much about how, how, how it is for God, but it is the posture of our hearts as we live our life and we live in, in waiting for Jesus' return that will happen soon. Soon's about us. You know, and, and I wish that um, I would have had Peter's voice in my ear that day at calculus class at university when uh, I decided to apply the 15-minute rule for the first time. Because while, while going home was, was, was quite fun and liberating in the short term, um, what I discovered later was that in the long term, it had penalties. Um, that evening, we all in the class got a very upset email from the professor explaining that his tardiness was due to a family emergency that he had arrived to the class just five minutes after we had all left to, to discover that there were a few students remaining who told him exactly what had happened, those punks, right? <laughs> and, um, and, and so uh, the next class that we had, uh, he decided to spend 10 minutes of the lecture in his very thick Indian accent you know, lambasting us for our impunity and how we never, ever should have left and, I, uh, and, and how that on the exam we would have extra questions on the content of the lecture that we never attended, right? And, and when that lecture came, I realized that I should have always thought he was coming soon. Those were hard questions. I also realized it is never wise to take cues from any junior who is still taking a freshman <laughs> calculus class, right? <laughs> Uh, but but uh, that, that understanding of soon, it's really at the heart of what Peter's after here. It's really at the heart of what he wants us to, to think about and see and, and have as our posture. It's, it's patience. 
he's trying to sow the virtue of patience in our lives, in the lives of these early Christians. And um, patience is really where he ends up in this passage. It's what he focuses on. It's the thing that he wants you and I to get, to have, as we hear his words. And that really comes out just by, by reading and seeing that three times in the in three verses at the end of what he says, he, he says, look forward. He uses this, this verb about waiting, about being patient, about looking forward. Let me, let me read these verses for you one more time so you can see the emphasis here. Um, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You see that three times, three verses. Look forward. He's sowing patience. Uh, and I really like the way that, that this has been translated from the Greek. Sometimes uh, it's translated, be patient, wait on the Lord, but look forward. Uh, I appreciate it because it reminds us um, that, 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 that patience is active, that, that it's a verb that requires something. Patience isn't aimless waiting. Patience isn't doing something else un- until you're able to do what you, you want to. Patience isn't forgetting about it until it happens. Patience is, is active. It requires us Uh, living with expectancy, something to hope for, looking forward to something, right? Prisoners wait, have patience to be set free, right? Students wait for their professor to show up. Last night, a bunch of us were waiting in seven overtimes for a football game to finally be over. Yeah, I I debated whether or not to put up with a whoop on that, but... um, you know, I shared with you all a couple of weeks ago that over Thanksgiving break, I got to go bow hunting, right? And you know one thing that bow hunting requires? Patience, right? I did not sit in a tree for six hours in 15 degree weather uh, because I was aimlessly sitting in that tree. I was expecting, hoping, waiting for antlers that never came, right? <laughs> but, um, but I knew when they came, I had to be ready or I would miss out right? I would miss that moment. And and that's the point that Peter is really making here. It's the practical application. Our lives should be lived in a way that looks forward to the coming of Jesus. We are actively waiting on him. We're not sitting here aimlessly. We're, We're looking forward in the way that we live to the soon arrival of Jesus. And, and so just very simply, I think it's an important question to ask ourselves to hear this scripture how are we living lives that look forward to Jesus' coming? Are we living lives that look forward to Jesus' coming? And if not, what do we need to, to do to get them there? Right? You know, once upon a time, there was a season in the church when Christians actually did some focused energy on this, where they waited on the Lord, where, where they looked forward to Jesus' second coming. And, and actually, that season uh, is the one that's right before us, the one coming up. The month before Christmas, it was called Advent, right? Advent. And some of us have heard that word before. Um, uh, it's the time before Christmas, right? Like that's, that's at least what we've 
we've understood those weeks in Christmas and December before Jesus is born, right? Here's what you likely don't know. Uh, I certainly didn't. Advent actually came out of the practice of the earliest generations of Christians as they were waiting for Jesus, not his birth, but his second coming. Advent was originally about Jesus' return to earth to set all things right, to put righteousness at home, right? And, and, and Advent, by the way, means actually coming. It's this Latin word, Adventus, based on this Greek word, parousia, which in our Bibles is used over and over again to refer to, in the New Testament, Jesus' second coming, the second coming of Christ. Exactly what Peter is talking about here in our passage. It's about Advent. So there is this beautiful like double thing that is happening at Advent and Christmas. On December 25th, right, we celebrate Christ's birth, the, this, the incarnation, the mystery and marvel that somehow God became flesh and dwelt among you and me. But, but the early Christians never made it only about December 25th. Advent was a way to recognize now, uh, then, what, what they had hoped for in the first coming of Christ that there was a Messiah coming who was going to free Israel and set all things right. And so like the Israelites waited then, the, the early church and, the, and, and us as the church now, we wait during the season of Advent. And we hold on to this promise that in the early, uh, when Jesus was born after years and years, centuries of not hearing from God, God finally showed up and spoke and sent Jesus. Now, after we wait and we wait and we wait, we have this hope that one time again, Jesus is going to, 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 to come again and bind up the brokenness that, that, that's over all humanity, right? And that's what Advent was about. And, you know, one thing I discovered years ago is that one of the earliest Christian practices associated with Advent was actually a fast, right? Uh, like, like, you know, we are all familiar, probably all of us familiar with the, the fast before Easter during the season of Lent, right? The early church actually practiced another one before Christmas during the season of Advent. People waited on the Lord by waiting to eat, right? And, and I actually encountered this in Ukraine because some of the eastern branches of Christianity uh, still practice this fast. Some of our students... Uh, when we were missionaries there who, who, whose faith really came alive, uh, decided that they were going to take up this old Advent fast. And Shannon and I watched for four weeks as they literally cut the fat out of their lives. The first week, uh, they didn't eat any sweets or meats. The second week, they added to that no eating of fruits or nuts. The third week, they, they removed all carbs altogether until the last week, the week before Christmas, they consumed little more than water and vegetables, all the while in their hungers and desires for food, remembering that they also desired for Jesus to come, right? And it's a beautiful practice, a great way to wait, you know? But um, I don't know anyone here in America that fasts during Advent anymore. Uh, I, I don't even, didn't even know it was a thing until I went to Ukraine, right? And, and it seems what's happened is that over the years, this understanding of Advent has actually totally been lost, right? I don't even remember once uh, growing up in church understanding that Advent was about the second coming 
of Jesus. It could have been I wasn't listening. It's likely that I wasn't listening, but I, I don't remember it, and I bet many of you guys are learning about it for the first time today. And, 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 and I, I think if we ask ourselves why, you know, there's probably a lot of reasons, but one undeniable thing that's happened today and has happened for decades in America is that everything during Christmas time seems to be moving the opposite direction from waiting, from simplicity, from less is more. I remember coming back from Ukraine the first year we were back in America and going to a Christmas party in East Texas with Shannon's family. She's got family from like Winnie and Beaumont. And, uh, and l- let me tell you, there was no Advent fast happening at this party. <laughs> Food was East Texas ubiquitous. I mean, it was everywhere. And uh, man, it was good. There was like this crab dip appetizer thing I vividly remember. There was six other appetizers. There was uh, shrimp gumbo as the main course at this party. And then they brought out the turkey and the ham, right? And so we're stuffing ourselves. I'm sitting at the table and, and out from you know, the shed in the back, because everybody in East Texas has some sort of something in the back and a shed, these guys bring out this enormous uh, like log. And it's, it, it's kind of light colored. It looks like a giant Twinkie. And I'm like, what on earth is that? And they said, oh, this is the last main course, was a deep fried pork loin. Um, which was disgustingly delicious, and, um, and, and we, we, uh, we enjoyed it. I ate it, but I'll tell you, that first year coming back from Ukraine with a stomach ache, it made me pause and think, my gosh, how different is the practice in waiting for Christmas here than it was what I had experienced and seen in Ukraine. And, and the difference is in just the more of Christmas the, the difference is also the tyranny of now that we live under during Christmas time, right? We are so busy. There is so much to do this time of year. Uh, it, we don't describe Christmas time as uh, a time of waiting. We, we literally call it the hustle and bustle uh, of Christmas, right? And, and, and the pressures to do the things, to get caught up in it, are so enormous, right? You know, Black Friday has changed a little bit over the last few years it seems, but it wasn't too long ago where people were trampling over each other at Walmart, right? That, that happened, and I remember the first year when Black Friday, it used to be kind of containered. It would sit only in Friday, and I remember the first year when it crept into actually Thursday night. There were early Black Friday sales, and we were sitting there at the dinner table uh, as a family eating. Uh, just really actually having a nice time, um, enjoying ourselves for Thanksgiving dinner. And someone came and dropped the ads off, like on the kitchen table. And, um, and it, it was kind of like the Black Friday monster sat down at the Christmas table with us. And it was like, I'm here, you know? <laughs> uh, it's time to go. It's time to move. The deals are starting now, so go and shop. If you don't, you'll miss out. Run to Walmart as fast as you can, right? And that, that's kind of how it felt. There was like this pressure, to, and we feel it all Christmas, to, to go, to buy, to get the deals that are expiring, to instantly knock everything off our list and take care of Christmas, and not to wait, because we know that in a culture of instant gratification, waiting is a terrible thing, right? But then, you know, you do it for a few years, and... Um, 
And, and, and you start to discover that maybe waiting isn't so bad after all, right? You, you, you recognize that a breather and a little peace and quiet during the Christmas season sometimes is the give it, best gift you could ever receive or give to, to any, anyone else, right? And I think, friends, what that is, is it's, it's a bit of the secret of the Advent season, right? Something maybe we need n- more now today than we have, they, they ever did back then. God works in the waiting. God works in the patience. God works when we're looking forward and expecting Jesus to be at work in our lives. And God can do far more in the quiet space of Advent than he can ever do in the hustle and bustle and busyness of Christmas. And maybe if we can remember that and orient our hearts to that as we step into this season, we, we could recapture this wonderful, beautiful promise that Advent first offered us, right? That, that, that there is this brokenness in our world that no cart full of Black Friday bargains can make right, right? That there is an appetite for something deeper in our souls that no honey-baked ham can ever satisfy, and that there is a sickness in our beings that no human doctor could ever heal. But God can heal it, and he did, and he will heal it again, fully, completely, when, he, when Jesus comes at a second advent. And that is what we are waiting for and celebrating this Christmas season, the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you look forward to the coming of Jesus again this season, right? How can, how can you live differently this year? You know, we've been taking our cues from the early church. Let me offer just one, one short final lesson. You know, there was a, a prayer that the early church often prayed regularly, all the time. And, and it was actually in the book of Revelations, Uh, It's some of the last words in the whole Bible. Jesus says, surely I am coming soon. And the church responds with these words, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And let me offer you that as a prayer to be praying these, these next weeks, this next month. Come, Lord Jesus, come. I think that is something, if we can get it into our hearts, in our spirit, in our being, we will experience it differently, right? When we get caught up in the, the hustle and bustle, right? When you feel busy, take a second to step back and pray, come Lord Jesus, come, right? When you were traveling, running around to houses, doing three Christmases, right? Maybe that's a moment to, to just take a second and say, Lord, come, Lord Jesus, come. When the gift giving and receiving leaves us wanting something better and more, especially with little kids, right? Maybe it's time to pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Uh, Or when you simply, during this next month, capture something beautiful, you see good things that happen, friends and family, love shared, you experience hope, remember that those good gifts are here because Jesus came and is coming. And so let's be praying that this season. Come, Lord Jesus, come, amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you uh, for this day. I thank you for the way that um, the promises and the things that you have done help us to to anchor our hearts and our minds on the things that you will do. And as we are living into this different, special time of year of Christmas, Lord, I just pray that you would help our hearts live and move into a time where we uh, 
just see you and want you and desire you more clearly. We know that our hope uh, is in your advent. You're, you're coming into our lives, into this world, and we give thanks. Lord, put the prayer, come, Lord Jesus, come in our hearts and minds. Let us pray it all the time these next, these next weeks. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus, come.